NPR. So this year in the late summer, Mike Salata was in his New Orleans office early. While there was a hurricane that happened to be brewing in the Gulf of Mexico, Mike was fixated on his screen for another big event for the Gulf. Mike had helped set up the first ever auction for offshore wind farms in the region. He works for the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. That's a government agency that manages how the sea, owned by the government, is used for things like drilling oil or gas. It was leasing out patches of water for companies to build giant wind turbines in the water and sell their electricity. Oh, it was a lot of anticipation. We were just waiting to see what those first bids would be. A lot of excitement. A lot of excitement. And you can hear it in his voice. I mean, look, Mike is a steady hand on this big government work. So, you know, he's appropriately measured. But this auction could mean pretty high bids. A similar patch of ocean near New York had gone for over a billion dollars. And when Mike had asked around with developers about interest in this Gulf site... We had a very good response, so we thought that there would be competitive interest. But the sea patches did not go for anywhere near a billion dollars. One of the three sites sold for five and a half million. That's well under 1% of New York's. And two didn't even get any offers. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods. And I'm Waylon Wong. Today on the show, how did this flagship auction for the Gulf of Mexico attract such little interest? We investigate the possible causes and in the process, learn about one of the overlooked keys to the green energy transition. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, one of the largest recipients of NIH funding. Dana-Farber scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years, data through 2022. They've made one advanced cancer discovery after another for over 75 years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from NPR sponsor Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs, which believes plants and gardening are for everyone. With over 25 years of developing, trialing, and testing some of the most recognized flowering shrubs and evergreens on the market, Proven Winners Color Choice makes it easy to transform dull landscapes into colorful, vital spaces for work and play. Available in the distinctive white containers at garden centers nationwide. Or learn more at provenwinnerscolorchoice.com NPR. The Gulf of Mexico is a massive patch of sea framed by the U.S., Mexico, and Cuba. It's mainly known for its oil industry, and Mike Salata explained that it has a couple of advantages for offshore wind. First, it's not too deep. There's a shallow slope to the water as you enter. The water is much warmer than the Atlantic. Uh, Growing up in Boston, I'm not sure how I ever went in the water in the Atlantic, but, you know, generally it can be 80 degrees. It's very warm. Also, it's got all that seafaring expertise and equipment from the oil and gas industry. Those could be repurposed for wind. There's a lot of strengths here in the Gulf of Mexico that I think will make uh, offshore wind success in the future. Now, Mike considered the auction a success, almost a proof of concept. But we wanted to hear from others in the industry about why this auction for offshore wind energy failed to get any interest at all for two sites. It was a little deflating. 
We asked Mark Rapture, a partner at PA Consulting, which is a clean energy advisory that worked with some of the energy companies that were considering bidding for the auction. First, Mark says, there are some downsides to the area. If you think about what other kinds of electricity you could generate in the region, like in Texas, there are cheaper options than to drill giant windmills into the Gulf floor, like solar power. If you look at the western part of the state, um, there's a lot of empty land. There's a lot of space to do all of this development. And you can do it at a fraction of the cost on a much quicker development cycle than you could develop that offshore wind in the Gulf of Mexico. That being said, you generally can't rely on just one source of renewable energy. When the sun isn't shining, you need something else. So offshore wind likely has a place in a portfolio of energy sources. Another downside to the area was that hurricane at the time of the auction, Hurricane Adalia. And Hurricane Adalia was, of course, not a one-off in the Gulf. Hurricanes can damage wind turbines, but even when there's not a hurricane, it's actually calmer than outside New York or Massachusetts. Wind speed's not as fast in the Gulf of Mexico as you see in the Northeast, so there's a trade-off. All right, so the location had some disadvantages, but these surely can't have been so bad as to warrant a 99.5% discount on their own. No, and so we were curious, was there an issue with the auction itself? Right. And being auction geeks, we learned that they use what's called a simultaneous ascending multiple round auction. And if you'll excuse us for nerding out for just a second. Because that term wasn't nerdy enough, Darian. Exactly. Right. So I've got to give the explanation. This is like a gold standard for government auctions. It's, it's basically like an eBay auction when you've got a lot of things selling all at once. But instead of things going under the hammer and actually selling once the auction is over, that's actually kind of like the dress rehearsal. So Bidding companies will go back to the drawing board after the first auction. They'll figure out what they've learned from that, you know, kind of almost like a practice round of an auction, and then they'll bid again. Auction experts say that this maximizes government revenue because those practice rounds make the companies less risk averse. We looked at all this and we thought, you know, there probably wasn't a problem with the auction design itself. In fact, this might have brought in more money than if it had been a single round auction. Let's look at some other possible culprits for why this auction drew so little interest. Mark Rupture says another issue is the cost of building the wind farms. Drilling into the seabed is never cheap. And lately... Some of these initial cost estimates have slowly started to increase, sometimes quickly started to increase. And you won't be surprised to hear the blame put on supply chain snarls, which raise costs. High interest rates at the moment also increase the cost of borrowing. And once you've built the offshore wind farm, you've got to connect those high-voltage cables to land. And when they hit land, that means you'll need to fence off the area. So finding and permitting that can be a challenge. So those are the difficulties building the wind farms. But that shouldn't fully stop developers from wanting to build them, because these can be partially offset by federal subsidies. The Inflation Reduction Act, it, it was a huge benefit to the industry. You're, you're knocking 30 to 40 percent off of the construction and installation costs to develop these projects. And so the costs and the federal subsidies are more or less similar around the country. All right, so we've ticked through the auction design, the pros and cons of the location, the construction costs, and we have finally hit the main answer for why the Gulf auction had so little interest. 
Right. So Mark says it comes down to what the electricity can be sold for. Generally, states are in charge of how their electric grids operate. And so if you want to encourage offshore wind in your state, financial incentives matter. And the main financial incentive given around the country is a guaranteed price, a price of how much the electricity will be bought for. Mark says this is conspicuously minimal in Louisiana, Texas and Mississippi. They haven't done anything really on the offshore wind side to say we're going to provide an avenue for cash flow security. So when you kind of present that risk to a developer, when you're talking about projects that are in the billions of dollars, the calculus changes for them and they they kind of have a pause, if you will, on, well, do I really want to take that risk? Every state basically has a different system for electricity. So even with the federal supports in place, if the whole country is to dramatically boost green energy, what this auction reveals is that the states are critical to creating the electricity markets where that can happen. The experts we spoke to were clear that state-level deals to attract offshore wind energy were key. But, you know, as we're exploring this clean energy future, we're still figuring out what sources are viable. Even in the Northeast, offshore wind companies are struggling to find routes to profitability. Despite these struggles, Mike is still optimistic about offshore wind in the Gulf. But overall, I think I am bullish on offshore wind in the Gulf of Mexico. I think there's a bright future there. But whether or not that bright future for offshore wind happens may depend on the politics closer to home. This episode was produced by Cooper Katzman, came with engineering by James Willits. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez and edited by Dave Blanchard. Kate Cannon is our show's editor, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news. Some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people.